Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Alright guys, welcome back. Earn your leisure. This is a episode that could have happened five times already. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah, but um, we finally got it done. But before we start... Uh, by the time you guys hear this, three days, four days before the big, the big, the big one, we coming Philly, to Philadelphia, Philly. March 14th, March 15th. We have a live podcast on yeah. the 14th, and that's going to be with our brother Wallow267. Excited about that. The legend himself. Yep. Uh, Greg Parker, a.k.a. Big Business. King of Philly. Nehemiah Davis. Amazing. And just added to the bill, just yeah. added to the bill, John Henry. Shout out to brother. our guy, John What up, Henry. what up, John? Yes, and our guest today. Somebody familiar <laughs> to that flyer. <laughs> yes, yes, we're going we gonna, to we gonna give him a full introduction. Yeah, let's do it right. We're going to do it right. So Sunday, Sunday, we have our workshop, and the workshop is going to be Vending Biz, yeah. um, Kashif Edwards, um, Alex Good Energy. Our brother. Yeah, the king of trucking. Yep. Um, and Atia Blair and Aisha Sheldon, they're going to do a tag team real estate. It's going to um, be crazy. And they're going to talk about how to build a million dollar real estate portfolio starting with nothing. So it's crazy. Um, the live podcast, open bar, it's catered. Yeah. It's a networking event yeah. after. It's a whole yeah, EYL rules, man. Drink responsibly, act accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the information is on EYLExperience.com. Um, like I said, you got a couple of days to get tickets. Don't play yourself. Don't miss out on this. Reward man. yourself. 
Can't wait to touch the town. So, all right, Philadelphia, we'll see you. So, without further ado, we gotta we gotta announce the young legend that we got in the building today, um, Ani Sanal. Send y'all. You got it. You got it, man. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, under yeah. a lot. I get I get nervous when I don't know people's names. That's, Only with the names. That's cause it. Not because people mess up my name so much that I've become very sensitive to that. But um, yeah, so this is actually a while in the making. As I said, we we had a schedule for a few different times and yeah. we had to go out of town and a lot of stuff came up. I think he was on tour for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we here. But we here, we here. So I'll give the, the back story. So did everything from music, started a, a record label when he mm-hmm. was in high school, inst- inspired by Jay-Z, which fits right in the podcast because oh, we, we mentioned- know, you know we love that. We mentioned Jay all the time. We love that. Um, he's currently a real estate investor, yep. a real estate in Jersey and Philly. Um, then he also has a digital marketing agency. Big time. Where he's worked with Hillary Clinton. GRC. That's pretty big. This guy's not playing. That's extremely big. He has a, one of the hottest tea. Is it, is it okay to call it a tea? Yeah, chai. Yeah, chai tea shops in Manhattan, which yeah. is blowing up. He, anything I'm missing? Um, we got the idea exchange. Idea exchange. Yeah, where, where people come together with ideas and find out how to make them turn turn them into businesses. Yeah, so he's a serial serial entrepreneur. What can he do? The term gets thrown around, and he's only 31 years old. So the and t- he could put out a hot 16, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the term the term gets thrown around very lightly, but he's a serial entrepreneur. So we got a lot of things that we need to talk about in yeah. this. So first and foremost, um, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. For real, this is this is exciting. Huh? We've talked about this for so long. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah for I'm sure, here. for sure. So, all right, so let's jump right into it. So, you start your first business um, in the music business as a record label when you're in high school. But so your parents are from India, right? You're, yeah. you're of Indian descent, yep. um, and they move to this country like right when you're born, right? Yeah. So, okay, so you are an Indian kid growing up in Boston, right outside Boston, yeah. But you fell in love with hip hop music. And then you decided to start a record label because you're inspired by Jay-Z and Rockefeller. Is that correct? Yeah, a little bit. It's So the funny thing about entrepreneurship now, it's like the sexiest thing. You know, everybody's trying to get into it. And for me, like my origins with entrepreneurship were not sexy at all. And, and what it was growing up as an immigrant kid, you know, watching your parents always get laid off or always be at the victim of the job market, mm-hmm. never being in control of their own scenario. I'm talking about like 8, 10, 12 years old. I knew that whatever I was going to do, I was always going to be owning that or Mm. creating a future for myself where I would never have to think about how do I put food on my family's plate. Yeah, I think you you, you mentioned that there's a few Christmases where your your dad came home like job's done. Yeah, I talk about it a lot because it's important for me to contextualize my story. You know, like now, you know, I'm on tour with my artist or, you know, doing a podcast with people like y'all and it's all fun and games, but, you know, this started from like a very, um, not, I don't want to say out of desperation, but it started out of like that hopelessness that you feel when you can't take care of your family. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, you know, as a brown kid, you're already feeling like an outsider because growing up in the 90s, we had no reference point. Mm-hmm. It was Apu and the Simpsons. We can laugh about it, but you know, on the other side of it, I was like, damn, this can't be life. This is it. This is literally it. <laughs> and um, you know, I think hip hop music and hip hop culture, for the first time, I was able to see a person of color in a position of ownership, mm. you know, and, and watching Jay 
how he ran up the score, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, like that MTV Diary that he did. I don't know if y'all remember that oh, one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And just watching somebody like, oh, they controlling culture and they're controlling the narrative and they own what they do. I was like, yeah, that's it. So at that point in high school, you're looking at that like, I can do that. I don't know if I was looking at it like I can do that. I think I was looking at it like I have a story to tell. Okay. And I wanted to tell that story in a real way. And, you know, I knew from early on I wasn't that square kid. Like my parents, you know, respect to them because they let me cook. But <laughs> when they saw me coming home with jeans, you know, sagging below my waist and four fake chains on, they must have been like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we got to get a what picture. What is he doing? Like, we got to. Uh, <laughs> Let's see if I got one. Um, but, you know, they, I, I just, I was never like, I could never be a doctor or a lawyer or a banker because to me, I just always thought outside the box, you know, and, yeah. and being a creative kid and, and always just having that spirit, like, how do we figure it out? Um, and I think that comes from not having things, you know, like you always going to figure out how to get to it. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, I teamed up, you know, with, with a friend of mine and I was like, look, there's a lot of stuff happening on digital at this time, so this is MySpace era. Okay. So you, at the cl three clicks, you could A, amplify your music to everybody in the world, and or you could discover something you've never heard before. And it just changed the way, you know, we like uh, digested and consumed music. So I'm looking at that like, okay, if I have these tools at my disposal, you know, how do I tell my story through music? How do I create a world that I wanna live in and create financial you know independence out of that mm -hmm. so give you all some ideas of how i think like even in high school we used to during the lunchtime we used to like hand out little flyers in the morning like yo we having a live show in this staircase <laughs> in this hallway <laughs> at 12 30 p.m pull up and we'd have a boom box and like i'd have a bunch of my friends just come through we'd like freestyle or you know perform songs or, or battle or whatever it was and these these stairways used to be packed out oh man you selling know. out stairways yeah i mean <laughs> young age. um and then i remember we printed up an album so like i sold whatever playstation games i had i think i was like working ten dollars an hour boxing like packing boxes or something put all that money together and printed up like 300 album uh copies of an album that we put out and them joints sold out in like four days oh wow you was rapping yeah, I was. Okay. I was executive producing. I was I was rapping. I was managing the whole process. I was, you know, using digital to, like, distribute all the stuff. So we had an album on iTunes when I was, like, 17 years old because I had figured out how to crack that code super early. And then we're selling physical CDs, and I'm turning, what is it, $2 to print a CD into $7 when you sell it. So you're on iTunes, and the, the music is moving for $7 an album? That's what you're getting off of it? No, no I'm, that's what I'm, CDs. I'm selling seven dollars CDs. Oh, in my CDs. High school. Okay, okay. This okay. is like back when you know you hand in hand. Yeah, you yeah. still played in your car. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I had a, you know, I had my pops' purple Corolla, but that's <laughs> you know I, I would play my play my joint and but I'm just watching people like consume it. Yeah, and I was like, oh nah, and that's the first time I ever had like a stack in my pocket, like a knot, and being like, oh, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just made I'm money. Rich. Yeah, I made money off of an idea. You yeah, know, like, yeah, that's yeah. so empowering. And then and then we're like, yo, let's try doing some merchandise. Sold out thirty T-shirts. Now that knot's getting bigger, and I'm like, oh, okay. Money hustles. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that was the origin. Um, and I took that to. I will skip a couple steps, but I took that from starting at 16, developing it all through my early 20s. And when I was 22 years old, I got offered to go live and tour in Japan for six weeks off of music. 
And that was a moment of crystallization. As an artist? As an artist. I did a brand deal with uh, Marlboro, the cigarette company. I was mm, Japan. Never yeah, smoked yeah. in my life. Doesn't matter. But <laughs> they were like, yeah, we'll pay you X, Y, and Z for these three tracks. And I was like, yeah, run that bag. Yeah. Called my best friends and my, my label partners at the time. And we all 22 years old, black and brown kids living in Japan, in Tokyo, running up the score. <laughs> run it up, run it up, run it up. And Spiking the football. Yeah. That's crazy. That, that, that moment, I was like, oh, I could do whatever it is I want in my life because I turned my ideas into... I'm think, like Even as a 16-year-old kid, to be an artist is one thing, right? But you're thinking, CEO, man, like, I'm going to create a record label. And I, so how, did, how does this go from being an artist and record label to now getting a deal like Marvel? Like, are you in front of them pitching this? How does this work? Yeah, I was, I was always talking to like the decision makers at some level, right? So like the, the Japan thing happened through somebody that saw us at a showcase. And I remember I had just quit the only day job I've ever worked. I worked for two weeks. And I had just graduated. I worked a day job for two weeks. I was like, nah, it's not me. And somebody came up to me at a showcase and was like, yo, you want to live in Japan and, and go on tour? And I was like, yeah, I. Right. Let me think about this. <laughs> but um, it was just having the wherewithal to like, I have a press kit ready. I have, you know, um, an EPK. I got, you know, videos. I have content you can consume. I got a story and I got a website and it's all packaged in a way that a decision maker can be like, okay, these guys are moving. Something's happening. I could give you analytics of my last, you know, four releases and things like that. I always thought that way because I knew that if I couldn't monetize my craft, I wasn't about to be a broke artist. Like, mm, there was struggling no, artist wasn't appealing yeah, to you. Yeah, there's still not. <laughs> there's, there's no glory in that. And so that's just how my mentality was. And obviously, you know, when you coached by Jay, like I, I joked that Rockefeller was my MBA <laughs> because I just studied how to make certain moves, you know, from that position and, and yeah, turn it into, turn like, you gotta think about it, a brown kid, you know, with no context in, in the music game, being able to do that, to me, it was just like, all right. So what made you, this before Punjabi MC? Man, this oh, is right man. around, no, Punjabi MC had a moment after, yeah, yeah, yeah had a, a moment. little bit after. Yeah, the music that I was making, it wasn't um, South Asian influence. It was just regular rap. Yeah, it was yeah. like boom bap. You know, golden age stuff. So, what, what, um, how did you transition from? All right, so you're a rapper, but then at some point you transitioned to be on the business side because you you did some stuff with Wiz Khalifa, I saw. Yeah. And um, Lupe, Lupe Fiasco. Yeah. So, what, what, how did that come about? I was always on both sides. Okay. And and I think that is one reason why I was never as good of an artist as I could have been is mm. because I was always doing both sides. And you know, like. The best artists are the ones that are 100% deep in their art. I could never go there because I had to do the business too. Um, but the Wiz story is funny. It's um, I, why my handle, Ani Hustles, I guess makes sense. I had a mutual friend and he was like, yo, uh, Wiz Khalifa is trying to come to New York. Uh, he needs someone to book a show. Like, do you know anybody? I was like, oh yeah, I got it. I was 20 years old, couldn't get <laughs> into the club, had no idea what to do. And I was like, no, 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 I got it. Like, you know, connect me with his manager. Long story long, I organized Wiz's first show in New York City at Webster Hall. And I put my group as the opening the headline, uh, the opening act. Uh. So how did you, all right, so we, we got to break that down. <laughs> yeah, break so that Web, down. Webster Hall is a, is, a, is a, it's big. Yeah, it's a big venue in New York. Just got reopened. So you're 20 years old. And so you somebody that you have a relationship this is before Wiz Khalifa was big. This is flight school Wiz. So right. this is like so early days. Early. How do you, how do you, how do you book something without like knowing yeah. what to do? So I had a, randomly I had a friend who I went to school with 
who was like doing something at Webster. Like he was working there part time, and and I knew that he was in that game. And I was like, bro, give me a chance. He was like, Wizard Khalifa. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Wizard Khalifa. You know, like, why? And this dude now owns one of the biggest venues in Brooklyn. Shout out to Rami. Like, gave me my first shot. But I was like, no, I got it. Like, here's his social analytics. This is the type of chatter that's happening on Twitter about him coming to New York. Like, I guarantee that we're going to be able to do this. And I was like, worst case, I'm going to bring out 150 people for myself. Just for you. Right? Yeah. And he was like, all right. I think we ended up bringing out like 200 people. I had a line outside of, you know, the joint, just everybody from NYU and that I had been building my community with. Yeah. They were like, oh, now we're showing up. How much did and you pay on? Wiz, I got no NDA, so I can say it, <laughs> um, $1,500. Okay. That was Wiz's first performance at Webster Hall. And I remember that night, like, I, we made a little bit of bread, you know, and I was like, oh, nah, this is crazy. You, know, <laughs> you, made, like, you made a profit? Barely, yeah. We blew like it on the thousand, hotel that thousand? night. Thousand? Nah, probably less. Like probably $500. Right. Yeah, we blew it at the hotel at least, that night. At least, at least you didn't lose money. <laughs> yeah, but me and my boys had a, you know, like, a life-changing moment and the craziest thing is a couple weeks after Wiz's team calls me when I'm in like my 8 a.m. accounting class and they're like yo <laughs> I, my, my phone's ringing you know I'm like I'm already failing this class and I pick up the phone and it's Peter Shorts who's one of the biggest agents right now who does everybody yeah and Peter Shorts is calling my phone like yo Wiz I just talked to Wiz he wants you to come on tour with him I don't know who you are <laughs> you let me know if you want to make this happen and I'm like, oh, I might even drop out. Like, what's going on? I'm for the lead, is. But, um, but we ended up doing like a little, you know, stint with Wiz on the road and like. Performing? Yeah. Like opening yeah. up for him? Yeah. Businessman and the artist. City, you know, and that to me, again, is just like, okay, I think I know how to take a, take a little thing and, and leverage into something bigger and then flip it. And that's been like a, a constant, you know, my whole life. Yeah. I mean, we breezed over that, but the NYU play is dope too. Because a kid from Boston yeah. having to, get, tell, to tell your parents, like, listen, I need to go to New York City, but using education as the reason, yeah. it, it changed your life, man. 100%. And, and I give my parents credit to be able to trust their kid with that because yeah. a lot of South Asian parents or a lot of parents in general, immigrant parents would be like, nah, you're going to screw it up. You know, and, and I lived like the, I was the brokest NYU kid anyone's ever seen. <laughs> I lived off campus. I had an apartment where you sat down, your knees touched the wall when you were sitting on the toilet. Like I paid, you know, my way through how much of it I could. Like, you know, my parents were supportive, but like I didn't go to NYU and trick off, you know, like uh, the, the rich New York City kid. Like that, that wasn't my reality. Like I scrapped through the whole time. But every day I would show up on campus and I would be like, yo, I got new music out. Or like, yo, check this out. Oh, I got a new CD, I got a new T-shirt. Yeah. You know, and I built that community. And that and that really was like the first point, you know, of crystallization of like, yo, this is how this is how you get it popping, you know, when it comes to like building a brand and uh, interfacing across digital, physical, you know, content, culture, and putting all that together. So you was always like, I guess the end kid, because in high school you had a buzz, in college you had a buzz, and but then you fell on some hard times. You had uh, some kidney issues, right? Yeah. The, so twenty so five. Twenty four. Okay. So, I was born with a kidney condition, but the way I live my life, I was like, if I go out, I'm gonna go out the way I want to. Like yeah. I'm gonna go out the way every day I lived, you know, the way I wanted to. And after the J the Japan Tokyo thing, I came back. And my phone, I, I kid you not, I never told a story. I was on a plane, walking off the plane. Like, mm -hmm. I, was, I was still exiting. I had my backpack on, getting home from Tokyo. And my phone rings, and I was like, hello? 
and it was one of my mentors. He was like, yo, can you go to India next week? Like, I want you to come and score a film with me. Bollywood. Bollywood film. <laughs> and I was like, oh, nah. Like, <laughs> again, when you were a brown kid growing up, like, yeah. that's validation. You yeah. know, like, that's that circle, that, that loop. So we go over there, and then we come back, and he's like, yo, we got to go again. I was like, cool. I'm just going to make a little routine doctor's appointment, you know, make sure I'm good. We were about to go out for, like, six weeks. And I remember that appointment. My doctor was... <clears throat> Typical movie thing. He was like coming real slow out of the the, the room, wow. you know, shaking his head, and I was like, "Oh, now nah, what? What?" Um, and it turns out that I had end stage kidney failure at 24, which means my kidneys had shrunk, like the the function in them had almost been like at zero, and it was like three months until they stopped working completely, or until I have to go on dialysis. Which, mm. if you guys know what that yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, my uncle had to yeah, go on man, dialysis. Rest in peace. You know, like. Bless him and, and, and anybody that's going through it because that's some difficult thing. You know, as a 24-year-old kid, forget it. Yeah. Anybody is difficult. And <clears throat> he was like, you are about to, you know, go through some real thing. Like, you should go. You should stay home and figure your life out. And I was like, but I'm about to go on tour next week. Mm. He was like, no. You know, and I told my parents, I was like, this is where I'm at. And they were like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to go on tour because if I got three months to live, <laughs> I, I'm gonna do at least a month of that. Yeah, Twenty four hours. You know, know. <laughs> but just think, where would you go? That's what would you where do? I was at, you know. And I think that moment also taught me about fear. You know, as an entrepreneur, fear is like this thing that we always have in the back of our head. But <clears throat> when I made that decision, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm gonna be scared of anything else in my life because I was just mentally I was stronger than I was physically. You know, like my mental was just so. Um, focused on doing the things that I wanted to do. So, so you did go on the tour? I went on tour. Okay. Um, scored that Bollywood film. Had a crazy experience. Came back and my body was like, nah. Time to sit down. It's over for you. <laughs> and uh, I went on like this emergency dialysis procedure. Ended up fighting for my life for like six months. Um, uh-huh. It was bad. You know, like, and I would still be in the studio in the evenings. Like, I go to dialysis in the morning and still go to the studio in the evening. I had all these, you know, like wires and and things attached to my chest and um, you know, when you're on top of the world at 24, it's an incredible feeling. Mm-hmm. And then when you're at the bottom, you know, that's also a real feeling. And it taught me, like, as quick as you can get it, you can lose it. And building back up from zero was probably the toughest thing that I ever did. But, you know, it, again, just built that resilience to be like, well, you beat cheated death <laughs> you know, I figured I could sell CDs. <laughs> you know? Nah, I remember somebody told me that before. Like, once you face death you really have no fear because the worst thing that can happen is you die and then when you realize that that's really the worst thing that can happen which is inevitable everything else isn't that bad right it's like a lot of things like you think like if you really think about it it's like i me trying to walk up to this celebrity to try to pitch my idea not that bad compared to dying like you know what i'm saying that was just on dialysis right and i don't don't want to glorify it like you know like i mean but it's just the reality what my parents went through what my family went through like extremely difficult and it's you know I say like my parents gave me life twice because my Mm. dad donated his kidney to me right and so that that moment was also really big for me to know like family you know family's always been everything especially as like an immigrant kid but at that moment I was like oh does that does that change the dynamic between you and dad I mean I know immigrant family immigrant family right parent family is everything but like your dad you guys were close at that time is that close we we got closer. Got you know, closer for right. sure. I, I think that at that time, not only did we get closer, but it also flipped a switch for me to know like 
everything that I was going to do after that in my life yeah. had to be for family. Mm. You know, and I had to be a little bit more selfless with what I was doing. Um, and that kind of inspired me to kind of move away from music for a while. Um, but, but yeah, um, that, that experience, I think, gave me a cheat code. Because now it's like fear. I spent my 25th birthday learning how to walk. Wow. You know, like what I, like you said, I'm not scared to pitch somebody. Yeah, and the thing, a lot of times you take stuff for granted in life. And um, I think that like humbling experiences and life altering experiences, a lot of times it makes people appreciate like, you know, the little things. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, just being able to walk. Yeah. It's like, you know, we complain about stuff and you think about the grand scheme of thing and it's like, it's like Instagram's down for an hour. <laughs> <You'll be laughs> it's like, right. it's not that. I think we're going to be all right. It's not that bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to beat life because I can't cheat death. So, facts. Yeah. You did it, man. Yeah. So, all right. So, in the next segment, that tease it up for your journey after that, going into marketing. That's actually something I'm really interested in talking about marketing because we yeah. haven't spoken about marketing and um, your life after music. All right, so in this segment, we're going to talk about a few different things, but I want to start it off with marketing because you have yeah. a marketing company, Green Room Creative. Yes, sir. So, and, um, you know, you, you've done work with uh, Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. HBO. Uh, Juice Press. Juice Press. Yeah, a bunch of people. So, okay, let's let's start from the beginning. Marketing, right? Because we hear this term a lot, marketing, and everybody has different ideas with marketing, right? But... um. Where do you see the direction of marketing? Like, where do you see your company? And like, because it's all over the place right now. Right. So what's your thoughts on it? I love this question because I feel like we don't spend enough time talking about it. We're just so used to being marketed to mm -hmm. right. that nowadays it's like we don't even deconstruct actually what's going on. So to me, marketing is storytelling. And, and good storytelling, when you do that, you don't even need to advertise. What's happened is people are using advertising as a way to storytell instead of the other way around. Mm. So to me, kind of all of my experiences, even up until this point, with music and, and with uh, culture and, and content, all I was doing was telling a really good story or the best story that I felt like I could. And when we, when we pivoted, so after my surgery, I realized that you know, music wouldn't allow me to take care of my family you know, the way I wanted to. And so my brother and I would put our heads together and we're like, look, let's get into um, the agency world. So he had a little bit of agency background um, on like the search and digital side. And I had a bunch of like background on the creative side. And what we realized was like nobody was effectively storytelling. Everyone was just buying advertising. Mm -hmm. And there's a massive difference. So when I think about marketing now, it's about having a point of view and a perspective and then marrying that with really good content to provide value to people's lives so that they learn and get enriched. If you do that, you never have to sell anything to anybody. You know what? That's crazy because <laughs> that yeah. sounds so familiar. And <laughs> it sounds just like Earn Your Leisure's blueprint. And yeah. I tell people that all the time. And I'm like, Earn Your Leisure wasn't built on ads or marketing or whatever. It was just to provide content, mm -hmm. creative content that was different. Mm -hmm. And we found our niche telling stories back. That's actually how I first started yeah. was backstories of entrepreneurs and business and the people championed it. Yep. And like you said, that's word of mouth is the best form of marketing. Mm -hmm. And it's like people double down. And it's like, Oh, how much money can I spend? And I look at like Mike Bloomberg, 
you spent 500 million, million <laughs> on ads, but it's like, how far is that really gonna go? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to double down on your content, right. telling your story, right. getting people to buy into you. And that is actually a form of marketing. That's mm-hmm. like the best form of marketing. Yeah, that and you have to have a really, what I say, uh, what I call an undeniable product. You yeah. know, I think the biggest thing that a lot of entrepreneurs face nowadays is everybody wants to get into the selling and the advertising and being like, yo, we out here. Very, peop- very few people want to focus on creating an undeniable product that could sell itself if it had to. You know, and I think the Mike Bloomberg is a classic example. Like the product wasn't that great. Yeah. You know, like you could fool some people, but you can't shift you know uh the public altogether because they're gonna go back and be like this product is not hitting (laughs) for me the agency world was a way for us to be like all right let's flip the traditional model of like just pumping money into ads and let's really try to get these brands to to talk about what's core to them and then we'll take that we'll create content we'll amplify it but it can't just be you know all advertising dollars and media buys because you're gonna get stuck that's yeah, like you, you made a, a mindset shift like after after you know your your health uh, issue where you said you know what I'm good at this but I'm great at that right, right. and you decided I'm going to go into this, this route but still the principles that you use for music of what you use in the marketing building the audience creating the content mm-hmm. right and you talk about segmenting the audience mm-hmm. so you, can you get into that a little bit for sure um, audience segmentation to me is something that is the easiest way to save money and make money at the same time. And what I mean by that is like, if you have a message that you're delivering to your audience, but that's the wrong audience, it's mm-hmm. the wrong message for that audience, you're, you're wasting money, mm. you know, versus when you hone in on the right audience with the right message, you could probably spend half and get twice as much results because it's the product market fit is undeniable. So when I think about like segmenting, you know, a lot of brands, they use one voice to speak to everybody, or they did for a long time. Now you see like Puma, you know, they're taking the urban voice and the urban weight, and they they double down on that on that segment mm-hmm. by investing in the influencers and the creators in that world. You know, Adidas was scared to do that for so long, and then they found you know Yeezy, and and you saw what happened. Nike doesn't really do that. Like their their audience segment is different. You know, they they do it in their own way now, but it's like it's not the same. You know, so each brand. And each um, each each person's understanding of segment and how you deliver product to that segment is the difference between you know having an effective strategy and, and being completely ineffective. Yeah, that's actually something that's really interesting because it's like you can actually have different marketing strategies, campaigns for different people from the one company. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. like you said, I'm just thinking about that. Like most of the time, it's it's just one way. Like if we're gonna go with a marketing campaign. It's like, okay, we're going to go hip-hop, and we're going to have Pusha T do a uh, Adidas commercial. Yeah. And it's like, but what if you're not a Pusha T fan? What if you like country music? Like, yeah. you know I mean, like, that would probably be more beneficial to be like, okay, we're going to have entertainers endorse our product, but we're going to have this campaign with a country singer, this campaign with an R&B singer, mm-hmm. this campaign with a rapper. It's like three different lanes yep. for three different people, as opposed to saying, this is like one size fit all, mm-hmm. and here. But yeah. you know why I think so many companies are out of touch with culture and just yeah. reality. Yep. And they just like, oh, this is what's hot? Okay, this is what <laughs> we're going to do. Like, you know what that's what they're doing out there? But that's I see, what, I see, I see that on Instagram. Because yeah. it's like, even for me, like, you know, I spent so much time on Instagram. Like, I kind of like have a, a, a good understanding of how these things work. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, 
it surprises me how many companies I see and I'm like, y'all don't even understand. Like, this is so corny, but yeah. you're spending so much money doing this and your, your titles are all off, your captions are wrong. And it's like, who, who, who's paying? Who's man's? Yeah, who's, who's <laughs> buying who's it? So it's crazy. Yeah, and the thing about segmentation is what it allows you to do is test. A lot of marketers forget the importance of testing because as a, as a brand, especially as an early stage company, which is a lot of the work that we do, you don't necessarily know who is your target audience. Like you might have an idea, you know, 18 to 30, but that's super broad. You know, metropolitan, urban professionals, that's still really broad. Yeah. You know, and, and what segmentation does is you can run different messages in different segments and then find the best performers and then double down on that and use the insights from that to inform your growth strategy. A lot of marketers feel like, oh, I'm gonna put this big spend into something that's gonna hit and we're out of here. Rarely works like that. Yeah. You know, and being able to efficiently test and turn things on and off, that's a lot of the work that we did, you know, as an agency. And I think that's where we delivered a lot of value to companies that didn't have that knowledge, yeah. you know, already. I think what you what you're doing is amazing in the fact that you ha you have a touch on culture mm -hmm. and you're trying to keep it as authentic as possible. A lot of times in, in Shadi and I, we always talk about this, like they're out of touch, out the loop. And then when they try to get a piece of the culture, it's like it's, it's already changed. Culture has changed already. Yeah. How, how do you guys keep it so authentic? The thing about culture is you can't fake culture. Unless you from and live the culture, mm -hmm. you can't really talk about it. And the, and the great thing about us is like we live what we do every day. You know, like I'm, I'm not I'm on that I'm on that glass building on the 35th floor or whatever, but I'm also at the show, you know, in the front row, like learning mm -hmm. and watching and observing how people are using TikTok or what they're doing. Like you got to be on the ground. Mm -hmm. And a lot of brands and a lot of like execs are afraid to be on the ground because they've never lived that life, you know. And the funny thing about this culture thing is now we, you know, we've pivoted into telling um, stories from a cultural aspect for like big brands. That's kind of the focus that we work on now and. I'm telling you, we used to tell all these brands, like, yo, this is the type of work you need to do. You need to pivot into more storytelling yeah. and less advertising. You need to invest in content. And some people listened. A lot of them didn't. Ain't nobody listened. And, and <laughs> That's my brother crazy. and I were like, hold on. Why don't we just stop wasting our time selling these things to people who are not listening? And let's incubate a company that in, in integrates everything that we've learned up to this point and that is how the chai company started ah. and so we incubated that within the agency using everything that we had learned about storytelling content culture and and really literally brewed that pot up and now when people are like well why should i work with you i'm like well we opened the cafe in manhattan and had 700 people on opening night so if you look at uh, a product uh a proof of concept like, yeah. that's it right there you know what though I, I'm, I'm glad that we're in this day and age now where you don't necessarily need gatekeepers um, to get your, your message out. Cause mm -hmm. I used to, is oh, I remember, so I used to play basketball growing mm -hmm. up, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember like when I was in prep school and um, like my last stages of like being recruited and I was getting overlooked by a lot of schools, but I was killing, like I would go to, they would like come to our practice and look for like somebody else. And I would have like 25, 30 points. And it was so frustrating cause it's like, how do you not see <laughs> what I see, like you know, what I'm saying, like and as a, as a creative, and a lot yeah, of times it's yeah, like yeah. it's like you feel like yo, I know this is it, yep. And you trying to convince somebody, and they like, nah, that's not it. And it's like I would, I would, I could just imagine how frustrating it would be for like we have Earn Your Leisure, right? And it's like we're trying to pitch it to a label or like a, a network, network, right? And we're trying to tell them like, yo, this is people gonna like this financial literacy, 
with a hip hop twist on it, mm -hmm. two black guys talking about finances, and I could see them like, nah, that's nobody's gonna be interested in that. And I'm like, no, I know this is gonna work. <laughs> and like, nah, like, you know what I'm saying? But that, that's really what happens yeah, with these yeah. companies. They're so out of touch and they think that they know it all. Yep. Record music too. Like Every they, day. it's yep. like you have one person dictating like what the whole world thinks is good. Yep. That's hot. Yep. <laughs> like, no. It's absurd. Yeah. You know, I mean look, people didn't give Drake a deal. Yeah. Right. People didn't give Jay a deal. People yeah. didn't give Nip a deal. Like three of the most iconic artists mm -hmm. of our generation. Speaking of Nip, I wanted to ask a question about marketing because I saw it on your on your page. Yeah. Um, somebody tweeted um, vertical integration. Yeah, because he had that line integrated yep. vertically. Yep. So, what's your ideas on that? Because people talk about it a lot, but I haven't really heard somebody like fully articulate their opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, rest in peace, Nip. You know, one of my biggest influences and somebody that just was so fearless and such a radical and what he did like inspired me you know for for the rest of my life uh when it comes to vertical integration this idea of like look building a business and, and creating something is already so challenging right but when you build something properly the ability to create an ecosystem out of products that are already related to what you're doing that you don't have to go outside of what you are already producing or where your resources are already allocated to create more products, to be able to create more uh, opportunities to profit and more revenue streams, and they all relate to each other and help actually build each other up, that's the idea of vertical integration. So for him, it was the fact that he owned um, the Marathon Agency, right, which was creating work in the music space, which was allowing him to get more opportunities as an artist, mm -hmm. right, and then also being able to create branding and experiences for places like Destination Crenshaw, or the real estate stuff that he was doing. Vector 90 now. Right? Vector 90, yeah. So coming down to Vector 90, and he had basically built a bunch of different businesses that all had a common thread yeah. through them and that were sharing resources. You saw what was next, that James Harden said they were going to do a sports agency. Which is... Um, which he said he's probably still going to do. Right, and, yeah. and, and he should. But So when I think about vertical integration, it's it's the ability to maximize your, your output with the same amount of resources and the same amount of infrastructure that you already have and, and your whole um, ecosystem relates to each other so an example of this is like when we built the agency you know it's two brown guys trying to play in this like super tech kind of like white bro founders world and I was like nobody's even giving us a chance a lot of times you know like we didn't even know where to go to like we didn't know who to talk to like mm -hmm. it was it was lonely and then I realized, like, I'm not the only one going through this. And so what I started doing was hosting a monthly meetup for minority entrepreneurs, and we called it Idea Exchange. Uh. And as a way to, like, have people that were going through similar things come and, and create a forum for, like, yo, how do we solve a lot of problems that we're going through as entrepreneurs? So that's vertically integrated with what I'm doing on the agency side, right, because it's a byproduct of that. I host those sessions at my office. I already know the topics because I'm living it every day. Yeah. And my audience are people that eventually actually become clients of the agency because they're like, yo, we love the way you think. And so now I'm using that meetup as a way to build my personal brand, build my agency business, and be able to give back to the community. How, how often uh, does an idea exchange happen? Yeah, so we last year we did them every month, um, and and it was, you know, that's a heavy lift. Yeah. Um, this year we've pivoted to every other month. So okay. we do them. Uh, next one's coming up in April. And, uh, you know, if you follow me or if you, you know where I'm at, then I, I talk about them pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, we expanded from New York City into Newark, New Jersey, which I feel like is a really dope community of entrepreneurs that aren't getting um, 
a platform. Newark? Yeah. yeah. I was just in Newark today, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long story. The Wild West. <laughs> well, you were there for maybe maybe some tough reasons, but um, but yeah, vertical integration is just like how do you um, create an ecosystem and maximize uh, the output and the revenue streams based off the things that you've already built. I think Apple is like the best at that. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. 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 They're up there. Yeah. Um, that goes like into your theory of culture to commerce or profit to purpose. Like yeah. you literally just explained it and it's like how you stayed authentic to your culture and with, with the, the chai restaurant and turn it into something profitable, easy. Right, and I think the biggest thing about vertical integration too is that it reinforces the authenticity behind what you do. You know, somebody like Nip, all those things that he was touching, music, marketing, real estate, um, with the, uh, he had a, uh, the Marathon OG, the strain. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. It was all connected to his brand, the marathon, the, his philosophy, and it was all authentic, and the world tapped in. So, you know, he's, I think, one of the most brilliant people to do it and still be him, you know, and coming from where he came from. But that idea of, like, building an ecosystem that's vertically integrated, I think is going to be the future because we're moving away from, like, that high growth, you yeah. know, growth at all costs, Uber and, and, uh, and Lyft and and Harry's and that type of that type of company, we're moving away from that. It's yeah. lateral lateral growth yeah. is more efficient right now than vertical growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like briefly, like vertical growth is like like I said in my opinion, that's the big corporations that's like you know just massively pouring money into things to grow upwards. But you can grow laterally a lot easier, yeah. and through word of mouth and through different uh, avenues that you're licensing things in that nature. So it's like mm-hmm. even for us, for Arnold Leisure, it's like we have everything started with the podcast, but right. now we have an online university. Yep. Now we have merch. Mm-hmm. Now we do live shows. Mm-hmm. Now we have the YouTube. Now we have ad revenue. We have the social media campaigns that we do. And right. so we can just continue to grow like that. Like Arnold Leisure, the podcast is the mothership. Mm-hmm. But from there, we can spread our wings at a very low cost. Right. All of these yeah. things that I named are very low cost. Right. And um, it allows us to have multiple streams of income. Yeah. yeah. I told you, it's like it, it's one tree with some branches going from it. Which is, that's <laughs> the best way to explain it. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're taking market share in each of those worlds little by little. You know, my, my philosophy at this point, at this age of my life is like, if you look at all the major companies and, and, and the infrastructure, it's all owned by people that look the same. Mm-hmm. It's all old white men that own almost everything. Yeah. Right? Now at this point in my life, my job is like how do I build an ecosystem that captures market share away from them little by little until I'm able to flip it and turn it into something major. Right? So like my cafe, you know, I'm not competing with Starbucks yet, but I'm gonna eat into some some middle tier coffee spots, you know, in New York City. And I'm gonna take that audience. I'm gonna flip it, and I'm gonna eat into more. And then they're gonna throw me an acquisition offer, and I'm gonna say, Nah, <laughs> we don't go right. And I'm gonna take the market share away from all these things that exist. And then once we get it and we bring it to minority-owned businesses, you you already know we're gonna that's, reinvest. That's it like the in, Az in smart way. Az's first album. When he's like, nobody noticed us, nobody gave us. The, the bigger we get, the more we take it from other people. That's a fact. So speaking about. Your cafe. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? Because that's 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 heat hot in the streets right now. So what's Something going on like with that? that? Yeah, man. Man, it's hard for me to talk <laughs> about my cafe without obviously mentioning my brother and bigging him up. Your um, blood brother. Blood brother. Yeah. Younger brother. Younger brother. Head, this is partner. Head case, but <laughs> death. Um, he's the head chef. You know, he is the 
he's the the lifeblood of that of that organization and you know again i i support that business the same way i do everything else i merge the culture and the business together yeah. i think it's dope so we didn't even say the name but i'm gonna try it kolkata yeah. you got it kolkata chai kolkata chai yeah. Cole, right mm-hmm. oh with pizzio mm-hmm. yep. and the beauty behind it is that it is named after the city in india that your parents grew up in, man. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we talk about family meaning anything, everything, it's like, you know, they can go in the city now and see like their birthplace because of you. Yeah, I mean, to honor your parents and to to give a tribute to them. Yeah, I felt like that was that was an That's appropriate fine. way to do it. Yeah, man. To honestly, like, I, I made a little bit of money in my life. You know, I got a decent car, whatever. That to me will be always my biggest accomplishment. The fact that my parents were healthy and able to see that. You know, at a time in our life where it's a lot of uncertainty, you know, but they could pop up in Manhattan. My mom was just in India, and she was like, thank you for making me a celebrity here. <laughs> Everybody's asking me about my cafe, and I was like, you learned that. You that's know? fine. Like, that's that. But, man, with, with the chai thing, it was, um, imagine if one of the biggest products consumed globally was just completely being mistold yeah so what what is, what is chai can you talk about that yeah, you talk about question. that because yeah. we like to talk cultural <laughs> cultural nights at Ernie Alicia let's get it <laughs> we did a bunch on on Dominican culture shout yeah. out to all the Dominicans uptown but uh we haven't done Indian night yet yeah. so let's about do it Valley. yeah let's, let's do it, it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. so so chai what is chai chai is chai means tea literally translates to tea and across South Asia so Bangladesh India uh, Pakistan Sri Lanka um, parts of the Middle East Chai is basically a mix of spices, of, of black tea, and milk, all boiled together. And it's like this multi-dimensional flavor profile. So it's a little bit sweet, it's a little bit spicy, it's, it's body, and it's hot. And, and it cleanses the palate, it kind of like keeps you from getting sick. It's got a lot of ginger, cardamom, cinnamon, and it's like the most democratic drink across South Asia. So you go to any corner, and there's a chai stall, and there's uh, what we call a chaiwala. That means like a worker. He's 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 making it, and the teachers is drinking it. The kids, the businessman, the day laborer, um, the government official, everybody's waiting to get their cup of chai. That's just it's just Andrew. a place where all of that you know cultural class and this everything just melts, and and it's about the about the drink. And so in India, when we go back to visit our family, every day in the evening, like there's this concept. It's more in Bengal uh, Bengali concept but it happens across India it's called Adda A-D-D-A and it literally means a time where you stop doing whatever you're doing you meet up with your family and you shoot the shit for like an hour and a half you drink tea you eat food and you just talk about politics um, sports whatever's happening music this that and it happens every day so growing up we would see our parents and our family doing all this our aunties and I'm like I don't got work like yeah, we're just gonna take this two hours to drink tea and talk and and that's how strong family is out there. So we realized that this this thing that we have bonded around our whole lives, nobody was telling that story in the U.S., right? And when you think about, you know, talking about EYL, let's let's broaden our, our international reach. Yeah. South Asians are um, some of the most economically mobile population in the U.S. And when it comes to, I think, uh, like college educated, they hold like the highest household income for college-educated individuals in the U.S., minority, population-wise. You got all this happening, and you have nobody speaking to them. You got no brands that are culturally relevant for South Asians to tap into and be like, I feel heard, I feel seen. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a place that reflects my values. 
and we looked at chai as being the the Trojan horse, that's the food item that can coalesce an entire community. And so we did it in the form of opening a cafe. Um, we're getting into you know original programming and content and media, and I got a whole you know list of other things that I want to yeah. do. But but that's the idea. It's like how do you take something that's so um, important for our heritage and, and where we come from, and how do you celebrate it? Because when you go to Starbucks, what you drink is not chai. Mm. It's like this syrupy, sweet you know like bastardized version of the drink there's no place that i've seen in america where you can get an authentic cup of chai that feels like it does back home there's one place well now <laughs> well i think i think it's important too because it's important to brace who you are Facts. embrace who you are because yeah. it's like a lot of times people try to run away from who they are especially mm-hmm. in america mm-hmm. and it's like you want to kind of conform yeah and yeah. fit in right yeah. but there's power in being who you are because there's always going to be somebody that can relate to you. And I, I, I realized this firsthand. It's like I'm in business. And uh, when I first started in business, I realized like I was a little self-conscious because, mm-hmm. you know, I have like a heavy New York accent mm-hmm. and, you know, grew up listening to hip hop and that's my culture. And 90% of the people were not like that. Right? Right, right. So I'm like feeling a little self-conscious, but now I realize that that's actually helped me that's the because there's yeah. millions of people who, CNBC can't talk to Wall Street Journal. They they have no idea what they're mm-hmm. talking about. But when they hear me, they hear Troy speak. It's like, oh, this these guys like from my neighborhood. Like yeah. it's like I could be in a barbershop. So it's actually beneficial. Yep. Because they're getting the message from somebody that they can understand. Yep. As opposed to me trying to be somebody that I'm not, and then I'm gonna miss them, and I'm gonna not even be able to relate to the other people because yep. goes back to they know said. I'm not them. Yeah, it's, it's like exactly what you said, right? You, you you can't fake culture. Right, like he's yeah. not—he's gonna be exactly who he is, and that's gonna attract people. And some people won't get it, but eventually they—you know—they will because yeah. their partners will. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. And I went through the same thing as a marketing exec early on. I was trying to conform into like this tech bro or whatever the market. You know, I felt. <laughs> I love like that I you keep saying be. tech bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I realized I was like, man, code switching is all fun and games, but that's not me. Like, yeah. And and embracing culture and who you are, I think that's your competitive advantage. You know, a lot of immigrant kids, a lot of, like, black and brown kids for us, like, growing up, like, it wasn't cool to be who we were for so long. Like, it was embarrassing. Yeah. Like, my name was said wrong every day on the first day of class for 18 years of my life. You know, like, that, it'll get to you. But once you realize that that's actually what a power is and, and where, um, ultimately, where you can create differentiation, then the whole world shifts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Troy never had to deal with. Yeah, that I, I got lucky, man. I was a Jamaican kid. Nobody, first of all, nobody even thinks I'm Jamaican. True. But I'm I'm growing up in New York City. Patrick Ewan was popping. Right. Shabla Ranks was popping. <laughs> Supercat was popping. I'm like, yo, it kind of was cool to be Jamaican. But you know what you said about when you tasted the chai and not realizing realizing that this isn't authentic. That's sometimes how I feel about West Indian food. Like I go to these, I won't say their names, but I'm like, they're like, oh, that food is so good. I'm like, yo, man, bro, that's that's not that's it. That's like McDonald's. Like right. this, this isn't it. Right. So we gotta. I got some visions now for for, yeah. for West Indian culture. Yeah. Somebody has to represent. But I was talking. Now. I was talking about your name, though. I'm, I'm just talking about the culture. Oh, but that, but that's, yeah. But that's, nobody, that's, nobody ever messes up your name. It's Troy. Oh no, nah. can't mess up that. But that was super intentional as well. Like and that conforming, right? So like even my my grandmother, the names of my my uncles and my dad are super American. Like Howard Victor is his sure. name, and sure. even my name, like you can hear it, like Troy Christopher. My brother's Gregory Michael. It's mm. like there's nothing about there's no Donovan in my name. Was that in, was that intentional? I think it was super yeah, intentional probably. on that part. I think, but I, you know what? Tupac. Speaking of uh, culture, Tupac, rest in peace, the icon, a legend. 
And I heard an interview of him one time, and he was saying that when he was young, he used to be embarrassed. His name is Tupac Shakur, Tupac Amari Shakur. Mm-hmm. And all his friends is like, you know, John Smith and just regular American names. Right. And he was like, he used to, you know, they used to make fun of him. Like, your name is Tupac. What does that mean? And he was um, saying that, um, like, over the course of time, he realized, like, it was actually a blessing. Because it was like people, anytime somebody saw him yeah. or they spoke, they, they was like, what's your name? He's like, Tupac. He's like, what does that mean? He had to explain what his name meant. Mm-hmm. Like, you know and he was like, even one time he got arrested and um, the the cop arrested him when he was a kid and he was like, what's your name? And he told him his name and the cop looked at him like, Tupac Shakur, like, you know, your parents is Black Panthers. Like, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, and he knew, like, he was raised better than that. Like, you know what I mean? Just off the strength of his name. So I say that to say everybody's journey is different. Yeah. And a lot of times what we think are actually hinders is actually our superpowers. Yeah. And actually, you know, you got to just embrace who you are. Yeah. I think in my life, so funny thing is my full name is Ani Ruda. That's the, the name that my grandfather gave me. And I hated that name growing up because it's butchered. <laughs> found out that name means uh, with no obstacle. Mm. And so when I think about my life, you know, I think I had every reason to stop or to give up or to find an excuse. Oh, nah, look, I'm, you know, we grew up poor. I ain't got it. Or I was sick. You know, I, I, I couldn't get past it. You know, oh, I, you know, couldn't recover from, from what I went through. And I think, you know, I had every, every opportunity to be like, yo, I, I can't do it. You know, but I look at the way my life went and I look at the power of my name, you know, and I'm like, oh, it all makes sense. So yeah, culturally and and, and all of that, I mean, you nailed it. You know, it's like our greatest power comes from, you know. Just who you are, that's it. So before we go to the next segment, can we talk a few minutes about India? Because like I said, shout out to all of the Indians all over the world. India is is a country that has over a billion people. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it's a, they have communities, Indian descent from Jamaica, mm-hmm. heavy, heavy. I mean, presence West in Jamaica. West Indies. Yeah, the whole yeah. West Indies, even South America, yep. yeah. America, Africa, all over. My There's uncle was called the Coolie Kid because yeah, he was Indian. So, um, <laughs> but you said, so you said that you, you actually um, went out there and, and so what's the business scene out there? Because obviously it's booming. Yeah. Uh, more and more people are coming into them. People talk about China a lot. But I think people don't fully understand, like, India is a big economy as well. It's a billion people. It's a big economy. And the, the greatest thing about the Indian economy is that everyone has access to mobile and cell service and data. Data is cheaper in India than it is anywhere else in the world. Mm. So to get a data plan in India, it's the cheapest. And what that does is everybody becomes connected, you know, at a, at a scale that no other place in the world can is, replicate. Is there a tie between that and having call centers there? Um, not necessarily. The, the call centers will happen. The reason why that is is because India was a British colony. Mm-hmm. And so everybody in India, when you go to school, you learn in English. So everybody in India speaks English. Mm. You know, whether that's at the same you know, accent as American English is a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. But the reason why call centers popped off in India is because everybody was, was English educated. And so when it came to onboarding, it was just a whole different... And they get paid less. Get and paid. they're highly educated. It's like Nigeria, same thing. Correct, correct. So... The Indian economy and kind of investing. So what's happening is over the last like five or 10 years, we've started to see the same kind of startup economy that exists here happen in India. So you have companies um, like Oyo, O-Y-O. It's like a big hotel chain that actually SoftBank invested in, mm-hmm. the Vision Fund. 
Oyo is in, in, in deep trouble right now. But that's a multi-billion dollar company that was created by, I think he was like 18 or 19 year old, like a founder in India. Wow. You have a company called Flipkart, which was the Amazon of India that got acquired recently for, I think it was like a couple bill. Um, and they basically just, they figured out what's called last mile delivery, which is like, how do you get to the, the customer who lives kind of like off the beaten path in an effective uh, time frame? So like you have a lot of um, the Indian startup ecosystem is starting to resemble what's happening in the West. The problem with India as an outsider is that you have to know somebody or you have to know the ways of the, the local economy and kind of how things are popping to be able to get involved there. What you don't have to necessarily know is like, you know, I manage an artist named Anik Khan. He's Bangladeshi. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of work in India. And we're using content and music as a way to break down those walls and, and create points of traction and investment. So like we don't have to necessarily be in India and talk to labels in India and I don't have to pitch them that way, but I can have the talent buyers in India be like, oh, this guy's popping and he represents, you know, this audience, let's fly him out. And what that does now is it connects me to a bunch of brands, a bunch of people who have, you know, vested interest in finding an artist that can bridge East and West. Mm-hmm. Now he's you know? a global superstar. Correct. So that's the type of work that I'm involved in now. And I think, I don't know how familiar you guys are with, um, you know, Mass Appeal, the label that Nas yeah, 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 yeah. So They just did a, a JV with Universal Music in India. Okay. okay. And um, they've been investing heavily in India. So Nas is executive producing uh, this guy named Divine, who's like one of the biggest superstars. Oh, yeah, I heard that. I heard that situation. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and the Mass Appeal guys are really, really heavily invested over there. Um, there was a movie that came out called, uh, what was it called? The Gully, oh, Gully Boy. Gully Boy. Um, a movie came out, it was like the, the imagine this, yo, the Indian 8 Mile came out last year about a, a rapper from India. And, and I remember I was in India on tour with Anik, and we had a day off, and we went and watched it in the yeah. theater. And I called my mom. I was like, yo, I just seen Gully Boy. She was like, oh, we did too. And I was like, I was trying to tell y'all about hip-hop music 10 years ago. You almost kicked me out. Like, now y'all watching this movie about hip-hop. You know, like, it was just. That's my story, mom. Come on. Like, it was this full circle moment. So I say all that to say hip-hop is an important cultural export, right? But you're seeing in India a place of a lot of struggle. People are adopting, you know, that story. Um for people that want to do business in India or kind of figure out how to invest in India, I think the potential lies in solving everyday problems. In India, it's really difficult to do basic things. Groceries are difficult. Hmm. Getting household supplies are difficult because the roads aren't paved or because you got to go to a market where everyone's going to haggle you and you got to, like, you know, I got grandparents, I got to go, they can't even go to the market anymore. They got to pay somebody to go that person picks up the wrong item. You know, like there's just a lot of friction in daily tasks. So I think that somebody who invents the technology or the, the type of infrastructure that solves for those problems, they're going to win big. Yeah, salute to all of our listeners all over Asia. Yeah, uh, yeah we got a big presence all over the world. So um, India, I'm not sure how many listeners that we have we in India. But, um, yeah, we, this yeah. Is, yeah, this is the one. This is the one. This puts us over the it's top. real gully boy. India, come on. Let's go. Yeah, I eat Indian food at least once a week, man. That's a fact, you do. Samosas. I love the whole non bread. My mom is like real, she, she's real big on the whole Indian right. vibe culture. And um, I told you I went to my first Indian wedding. 
<laughs> Shout out to my guy Phuket if you're listening. Uh, all right. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about real estate and uh, bring it home. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes, sir. All right. So in the last segment, we're going to talk about a hot topic, something that's always hot for Earn Your Leisure, yeah. um, something that people are always interested in always is real estate. So aside from all of the other stuff that we just mentioned, you're a real estate investor as well. Um, but you have a unique thing where I, I read the way you said you, you invest in distressed and underperforming um, properties, right? So what does that mean? What is a distressed, underperforming property? Like, how can you tell if a property is distressed or underperforming? Yeah, great question. Um, so I have an investment thesis, right, that revolves around major centers of employment. If you are within 30 to 60 minutes of, by public transportation to a major center of employment, then anything around that area becomes extremely valuable for investment, right? So think about New York City. You go 20 minutes on one train, you end up in Jersey City. You go another 10 minutes on that same train, you end up in Newark. Those areas have a massive advantage because you can live at a third of the cost that it takes to live in New York City mm -hmm. and still have fairly easy access to employment centers, right? Properties in those areas, believe it or not, are there's, there's massive distressed properties, meaning there's boarded up multifamilies, there's abandoned homes, there's blocks which are burned down. 10 minutes from a train station, 30 minutes to New York City for a third of the cost. Like, to me, that's just arbitrage, right? Like, there's a massive arbitrage. So when I look at investment zones, I have a thesis, which is part proximity to major employment areas, part um, creative capital and, and cultural capital and kind of what's happening with artists around that area, and part uh, financial. So just kind of looking at pure um, price, price per square foot. But I look at at properties that are distressed and not performing that fit within that criteria. Sing, so we're talking are we talking single family distress or multifamily or multi property? Yeah, I don't I don't believe in single family investing. So I don't know, you know, I'd love to spar with somebody on that, but I don't yeah. believe that that's a scalable strategy. I think that when you look at real estate investing, it has to be multi because that's where you scale and achieve, you know, um, growth. Mm -hmm. And for me, secondary markets are gold mines. Cities like Newark Cities like Philadelphia, cities like Dallas, um, <clears throat> cities like Oakland. These are all cities that don't get mentioned amongst the tier one, you know, New York and Atlanta's, but that have massive ROI because they have proximity, you know, to, to these centers of employment. And I've built my portfolio around uh, secondary market investing. Yeah, that um, that's interesting because, I, like I said, I was in <laughs> – I was in Orange, New Jersey today, yep. and my car broke down, so I had to get a tow towards, like, to Union. Mm -hmm. So we driving through all these different, Irvington and all that, and so the driver was, we drove through Newark, and he's from Newark, so he was talking about Newark. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had a conversation. I'm like, yeah, I heard a lot of real estate development <clears throat> is going on in Newark right now. He was like, yeah, you know, it's getting gentrified a lot. A lot of people coming in from, like, all different neighborhoods and and he's like, you know, the train runs, but I already knew Newark had a train because Lord of the Slums. I don't yep. know if you saw that episode. That's another good one. Um, and yeah, my guy Fernando. So they do him and Caesar. They got a lot going on in Patterson. Mm -hmm. So when I asked um, him about, I'm like, yeah, you know, Patterson. Is it like the same gentrification that's going on? He's like, nah, it's slower because we don't have the train like Newark. Like mm -hmm. Newark has a train, mm -hmm. so it's like already on the, on the path to New York City. Right. And that's the same thing that uh, I remember Nipsey has said about Crenshaw. Like Crenshaw has the train train mm -hmm. line that they built, or they're, I don't know if it was building there. Right now. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. building it right now. He's like, once that gets built, 
um, <clears throat> Crenshaw is going to be prime real estate because the proximity to like downtown, downtown LA, LA yeah. Hollywood and all that, like it's very close mm-hmm. compared to like a Compton or a Carson where it's, it's yep. further out. Yep. Uh, South Central was actually prime location. Yeah. And I remember him saying that and he was like, that's why we got to start building and taking the neighborhood now because like in a few years, like Crenshaw is going to look a lot different. Yeah. I spent a lot, I spent a lot of time in LA and if you go to Crenshaw right now, it looks like, you know, massive development everywhere mm-hmm. and and Crenshaw itself is not necessarily the first place that developers would think of but you know Nip being from the culture and, and being from that area he you know he saw it but <clears throat> yeah I think for us like even in Philadelphia they're building a Amtrak high-speed train between Newark and Philly yeah and and the station in Philly is called 10 North and that train that high-speed train I think is like a 45 minute train when it happens so think about how that changes the entire culture of work and living in New York and Philly. You could live in Philly for 40% less than New York and still commute the same time it takes you to get from Brooklyn to Manhattan. And so we have um, <clears throat> an entire real estate development in Philadelphia, which is like four blocks from 10 North. And we're anchoring it around a bunch of things, but that being one of them. And I think when it comes to like gentrification, you know, the approach that we take from an equitable investing side is like how do you involve the community in what you're doing and have them have a say and be able to influence the things that happen before you just go down and, and start raising buildings and building things up so <clears throat> we've had community board meetings for all of our developments in philly so far and and taken advice you know from the local people before starting any construction right so before you even get out to these cities you're building a team from from those cities yeah, so in, in, in Newark, so I have two, I run two kind of funds that I'm a part of. So the Sanyal Capital Group is the one that I run kind of in the North, the New York metro area. Okay. And that is myself. I have uh, some, some investors and I have a, like a GC construction team. And then I have a property management team as well. So originally I was doing a lot of that 360 myself, you know, not <laughs> necessarily the GCing, but like yeah. being on site all the time and like, you know, handling you know, contractors and, and, and all that work and then property managing, you know, kind of half time while hiring somebody to help me out with and that burned me out. It's just really tough to do that yourself, especially as you scale. You know, you have three tenants, you know everybody's name and you know everybody's situation, you know where they're at, they can text you, cool. You got 30 tenants, it's impossible, tough. right? So what I've done is I've, I've built out infrastructure to be able to handle those things and and cut into my profit margin a little bit, but be able to give me peace of mind so that I can focus on the important things like the vision and the investor relations and really being able to scale an operation instead of worrying about, you know, the the day-to-day rent collection and, and repairs and maintenance and things like that. So you got the Northeast Corridor that you're, you're, you obviously have the team now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Dallas, you mentioned Oakland. Are those cities potentially that you're looking at in the future? So with where I'm at and I like to be high touch with investing I think that you know a lot of people when you have capital and you can just deploy it in different places like your money's gonna work for you but if you can build something with your hands kind of using the things that you're good at for me it's marketing and branding and storytelling I know I can't be high touch everywhere you know it's like Nip with Crenshaw like that's what he knew and that's what he did you know for me it's like I want to do the things that I know before I get into those different markets so I invest in like E-REITs, you know, like REITs, mm-hmm. and, and I have exposure across a lot of those secondary markets. Real estate investment trusts. Yeah, yeah. Um, very low risk, 
way to get exposure to real estate for people that don't necessarily want to manage a fix and flip or you know pick up a hammer themselves like you can re uh, research different REITs that have exposure to different geographic regions or different investment theses and that is kind of how I started like eight years ago before I put any money in I was just like playing around with REITs and then I was like okay I'm ready to you know build out an actual fund and then go and, and actually rehab buildings and and build a portfolio dope dope so you're building um units in philly or developing or so in philly what we're doing is we've we've narrowed down on like a four block radius um in north philly mm -hmm. which is a block from temple university and our job there is to kind of revitalize and redevelop the entire area we want to own all four blocks right now we have about six sites so multifamily buildings commercial units and land lots across those and we're we're in talks for four more and we've just been accumulating assets and the idea is how do you take what you know on the marketing and branding and storytelling and community angle and go redevelop an entire area in an equitable way and create something that's more than just a place for people to live that's actually a place that builds community that creates resources and knowledge sharing for the people that live there and then that raises the value of your portfolio even more because you're not just dealing in buildings you're dealing with human capital you're dealing with cultural capital and then in, in 15 years you go to a BlackRock or you go to an institu institutional investor and you say you guys are not just buying the buildings you're buying an entire ecosystem you're buying an entire community and that multiple is going to be way larger yeah. you know than if they were to buy um, a multifamily unit yeah I mean you so, have a, a portfolio now but before when you started it, it wasn't like that you talk about some of the, the sacrifices because I, I did some research and I'm like yeah. wait you got to talk about some of these sacrifices you made to get to that first point I know you have a, a clip where you talk about you went from 40,000 to 2.1 million yeah but people like you know you got to get to 40,000 so you want to talk about some of the sacrifices you had to yeah. make <laughs> I love that you brought that up because that, that brought me right back to earth I think sacrifice is the that's the quality that that separates entrepreneurs because there was a point in my life where so the philosophy behind real estate for me was like we were in a cash rich business on the agency side right mm -hmm. we're making we're making cash and when you're 28 29 years old and you see your first you know 200,000 there's a lot of ways that can go you know especially <laughs> yeah, when you don't come indeed. from a lot there's a lot of ways that can go and and I knew that for me it had to go one way which was build something generational for my family because we don't own too much in this country, you know, and, and for my family, it's just the four of us. So if I want to build something that my parents can live off of and eat off of, I have to make choices, right? So I'm 29, I got a little bit of paper, and I'm like, that Model S, that Tesla looked serious. I'm like, I'll pull up on my friends <laughs> in that joint, nobody gonna say a word. And I remember, you know, building a package, Tesla.com, I was, you know, pimping out my ride. And I was like, at the same time, I was evaluating this multifamily real estate deal. And I was like, nah, I don't know, like, it's a $70,000 car, it's a $70,000 down payment. And I decided to click out that browser, you know, put that in the stash, and I went and rehabbed. I went into this rehab project for this multifamily in Jersey City, and I bought that, that property for 190000 And it needed 70000 in repair, but the thing was it went six months over schedule. So for six months, I had to pay the mortgage out of pocket. I had to pay my contractors out of pocket. And I was dating a girl at the time, and she was like, oh, you want to go out and eat? You want to go on vacation? I was like, I don't want to go nowhere. I can't go nowhere. Yeah. 
because mm-hmm. all of my money is being invested into this building that I gotta make sure it happens. Um, my pops was like, he, he invested with me at the time and then he lost his job. Mm-hmm. So he was like, yo, and I was like, nah, don't, don't even say it. Like, I got it, I'm gonna figure it out. I ain't buy no sneakers. I ain't buy no, I don't own no Balmain, but I definitely ain't buy, you know, no clothes, <laughs> no Tesla, no nothing. I just doubled down on like bringing that project to life. Bought that project for 190. I put in 70. I was all in at 260. I ARV, my, I refinanced out at 350. Mm. And so that day I got a check for 90,000 when I, when I cashed out refi and I was like, yeah, this makes sense now. Yeah. Like this is why I did it, you know, and that property now is like, is close to about half a million, you know, in terms of property value. Mm. Um, I actually gotta go check on, on that after this. <laughs> um, that's how I spent my Saturday evening. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, sacrifice, you know, if that's if that's the, the, the sacrifice in a nutshell is like sublimate your urges and your wants for the now to be able to build and grow your wealth for the future. Because, you know, especially as minorities, like we don't we don't have a lot we don't come from a lot right. but when we have the opportunity to make something happen you got to be conscious about the decision you make so that's powerful more money, more money in pleasure it's been a pleasure uh, man well, well thank, worth the wait yeah yeah thank you thank you <laughs> all how, how can the people contact you any initiatives any well you're coming to earn your leisures uh yes, live yes. podcast in a few Very days but yeah so what's the what's your information social media handles and all that yeah i mean my my goal is to respond to every dm that i get i'm like Yo, yo, be careful. Yeah. No, no, no. I've been behind for six months. I already know. Um, uh, you can find me everywhere at Ani Hustles. That's A N I H U S T L E S. Instagram. I'm big on Twitter. I'm, I'm super involved in Medium. I write. I really love like writing articles about the things that I go through. Yeah. So I'm, you wrote a good one. It's five books that changed my life. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm on. I'm on Medium. Um, but yeah, Ani Hustles across everything, and I urge people to reach out to me. I try to help you know however I can because I know. I was once in that position where a question and an answer was the difference between, you know, making a play and not making a play. So, yeah. I appreciate that. Troy, housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. That is our Proud to Pay program. Big shout out to my man, Dave. Uh, he is joined in at Tier 5. So, shout out to him, man. I can't wait. Looking forward to his call. He hit me up. I'm, he was like, yo, I didn't get my shout I'm like, yo, it's coming, man. It's coming. So, shout out to you, Dave, for checking in and everybody that's on Patreon and everybody that's on uh, supporting the merch on EarnYourLeisure.com and uh, supporting us on Earn Your Leisure University. That is our online school uh, where we give classes that are just super in-depth on a multitude of topics. So everybody that's tapped in in, in, in that asset, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, man, we're we looking forward to seeing everybody in Philly. Yeah, Philadelphia, uh, EYLExperience.com. As I said, you got about two to three days before we come to the town, and it's going to be a really dope experience. And um, we bringing all of our friends with us, not just the people that's going to be involved, but people yeah. that's just coming just to show some Fact. support. So, um, but Ani's on the bill, and yeah. he will be tag team with John Henry. That's going to be a gonna crazy be, combination. Special, Shout out to John. He's the reason that I'm here. So. <laughs> What's up, John? I see you. I appreciate you. Hey, yeah. John, John's moving around all over the place, man. <laughs> that's our guy. Can't keep track of that guy. <laughs> um, so book tip of the week, Troy? Uh, yeah, I, you want to give it? Contagious? You want to talk about that? Why don't we do it together? Yeah, yeah. go ahead, man. So uh, I took it from your uh, five books that changed your life, and I saw Contagious by... Jonah Berger. And um, the ties to Nipsey Hussle w- was amazing because you, that's where he got the $100 mixtape yeah. from. Um, but it was tied to a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. Go, be, go 
There's, so have it. The circles are crazy. The place yeah. that we're going yeah. is tied to the books. If you want to mm-hmm. tell them why it changed your life. Yeah, Contagious to me was, we talked about like how word of mouth is one of the biggest marketing tools and it, it just reinforced the fact that if you don't give people a reason to talk about you, they have no incentive to do that. And digging behind what it takes to create a product that's worth talking about, that's the most valuable lesson you know a lot of marketers and, and, and brand people need to understand. So that book is powerful for me. Um, obviously, you know, when I, I, I got that from Nip. Yeah. But I went and bought it the next day and I was like, let me read it. So, yeah, that, that one's powerful. There you have it. So, ladies and gentlemen, Philadelphia, we're on our way. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. 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 Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.